Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for March 12th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to take a stop at the water cooler and talk about a few things we've been watching and reading. And uh, we'll be talking about a bunch of news in our news segment. This is Slash Home Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. So, guys, before we get going, uh, I know we just come back from the weekend. Uh, let's stop over by the virtual water cooler and uh, t- talk about what we've been up to. Uh, I'll tell you what I've been up to. Um, over the weekend, I went and saw Thoroughbreds. Um, have have either have any of you guys seen Thoroughbreds? I've not seen it. No, I've heard about it. I've heard good things. Did you like it? Uh, it's good. It's a little slow. Um a little slower than I thought it was going to be. And I feel like, you know, we've kind of seen this story done before where, you know, a bunch of people are, uh, a bunch of kids are trying to kill an adult. I mean, that's basically the the plot setup of, of this movie. And uh, this, I don't think is done as well as those other movies. Uh, I do. Um, I do very much like, uh, what's her name? The star of this movie uh, or one of the stars of this movie, uh, Olivia Cook. Uh, she's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was a solid, uh, movie pass choice, which by the way, I went to my local theater with my movie pass and it's just strange watching like a line of people waiting for the, um, the machine where you connect the AMC machine where you can buy your tickets, just all with their movie pass cards out. And I'm not sure if this is like in other places other than Los Angeles, but it, like it already feels to me like everybody is going to the movie theater with their movie pass cards, so it's 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 it's, it's really strange. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, I've been I, I binge watched uh, with my girlfriend uh, the season three of the Netflix series Love. Have any of you guys seen Love? Nope. No love for nope. Love. Okay. Um, Love is a great show. If you guys haven't been watching it, you should be. Paul Rust, uh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm surprised Brad is not a fan of this series uh, because it's it's you know a delightful comedy. Um, it uh, is set in L.A. and 
I know a lot of people like to parody L.A. and kind of like um, there's a lot of L.A. movies out there. But I feel like this show gets L.A. right in so many ways that other you know movies and TV shows don't. Usually like the parody is a little bit too much, I feel like, um, in, in those kind of like uh, in other movies and TV shows. But this is just perfect. And, you know, the, it, it's a relationship drama, comedy. It, uh, the characters in it are so relatable. Uh just like at least in my life i i know people like all, every single person in 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 the show and uh season 3 of love which is i think the final season of love uh which is kind of sad uh has a subplot that involves uh waterworld the stunt show at universal studios hollywood uh which inspired me to actually go back to universal studios hollywood and, and watch that for the like the 20th time such a great show uh, both uh, the, the the series Love on Netflix and uh, the the Universal uh, Waterworld stunt show at Universal Hollywood, uh, but yeah, I would highly recommend uh, Love probably way more than Thoroughbreds. Uh, if you have not started watching Love, it's just it's just so great. Um, let's uh, move on, Br- Brad. You haven't been up to anything, so let's talk to Ben. Ben, what have you been up to? Uh, I recently finished reading uh, Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, I had never, I've never seen the Hulu show, and I, you know, have have been hearing the show get this tremendous praise. And I'm one of those people that tends to want to read the book before I dive into a uh, movie or TV adaptation. So uh, now that my wife and I have both read The Handmaid's Tale, I think that means that. Uh, getting a Hulu subscription is is in our near future just so we can uh, check out the show now. But um, I was a big fan of the book. I mean, it's I've never read any of Atwood's uh, novels or or collections or of any sort. And so this was my introduction to her as a writer. And I thought she was I mean, she did a terrific job in this book. It's like it's so um, uh, it's written almost as if it's like a diary of Anne Frank kind of thing. It's very personal and um and like experiential from the point of view of this one character who's played by Elizabeth Moss in the show. And um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to that book and recommend it for anybody who might be on the fence, or even if you've you know seen the show and enjoyed it, I would recommend diving into the book because it's, it's really, really great. I'm interested to hear what you are going to think of the series after reading the book, because I've, you know, a lot of people I've talked to have watched the series and then read the book. Um, so I feel like yours is a different experience than most people I know. Um, Chris, you've also been reading stuff lately. Uh, what have you been reading? Uh, I just recently finished a book called the big picture. It's by Ben Fritz. And, uh, I wrote about it on slash film.com, but it's a, it's a very, uh, I don't want to say depressing, but it's, it's a little disheartening book about just, where Hollywood is now and how Hollywood got to this point here in the 21st century where studios are pretty much only concerned with making big uh, franchise films and, you know, mid budget dramas for adults are pretty much a dying breed. Um, But it's, it's very insightful book. It's a very quick read. I finished it pretty much in like a weekend. 
uh, it's just so like if you're just interested in movies and just you know movie making and you know the, the movie business, this is a very uh, it's a must read. Uh, uh, you know, I, I it's uh, I really liked it. Um, like I said, it's a little depressing because you know it basically reveals <laughs> just why why there's pretty much nothing but you know superhero movies now, and you know not that there's anything wrong with that, but if you want more variety in your films, this explains why we're unlikely to get that anytime soon. Is there anything uh, surprising that you learned while reading this book? Because I know, you know, obviously covering the news beat on slash.com on a daily basis, you, you know, you're, you're pretty in the thick of things. Uh, but it, was there any insight that Ben Fritz gave that like was just not something you expected? Well, this is the book that um, we reported on this a while ago, that that news where Sony came very close to having pretty much the MCU as we know it now. And they turned it down because they only wanted Spider-Man. So we already knew about that. But there's a, a somewhat amusing chapter in the book about the, the Will Smith movie After Earth, where um, Will Smith had this very lofty idea for the film where he didn't want to just turn it into a movie. He wanted to turn it into also an animated series and also a video game and a theme park and comic books and even a cologne. There was supposed to be an after earth cologne <laughs> that Will Smith wanted to make. And then obviously, you know, the film did not do well at the box office. So none of that stuff happened. So uh, it, it's the whole book is just filled with like interesting sort of trivia like that about, you know, behind the scenes stuff about how, uh, you know, producers got a lot of stuff wrong. Uh, there's a lot about Sony in the book because one of the sources Ben Fritz uses is, you know, the infamous Sony hacks where uh, hackers released all these interior Sony emails online. So he has a lot of, he pulls a lot from that. So there's a lot of stuff about to tell Sony has been struggling to keep up with, you know, like Disney and Marvel and all that stuff. Yeah, that, that sounds like a good book. I, I know, you know, I subscribe to Audible and it's not an audio book yet. I just don't have the time to like sit down and read. Uh, I, I just don't feel like I have the time, but I have more time like I'm walking places and stuff. So I'm hoping that at one point this is going to become an audio book. But if not, I might have to just buy it for my Kindle and and uh, force myself down to, to, to read. I just guys, I have. I subscribe to so many comic books on my iPad and I'm like behind, I think like four months worth of like, you know, five series of comic books and I'm getting charged each month and I, I can't even find the time to read those. So I, so I, I applaud you guys for sitting down and reading because I just, I just can't find the time with so much in, you know, peak TV and, uh, you know, the Oscar season that we just got done with. Uh, but let's jump into the news. Uh, let's start off with star Wars. Um, Michael K. Williams was originally supposed to star in Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, we know that his character was kind of replaced by who? Paul Pad- Bedney, I think. And um, because of the reshoots, uh, we now have some info on his original character. Chris, you wrote it up for the site. What do we know? Yeah, so Michael K. Williams, like you said, he was originally going to be in Solo and he had shot a bunch of stuff. And then Ron Howard came in to do all these reshoots. And Michael K. Williams' schedule didn't allow him to be part of the reshoot. So Paul Bettany is playing his character now. But during this recent interview, Michael K. Williams uh, revealed some details that will likely still be in place for Bettany's take on the character. Um, we had known for a while now that uh, the character is going to be enhanced with you know CGI, basically. It's, it's not a human character. And according to Michael K. Williams, the character is half mountain lion, half human. So... 
picture that if you want to. And uh, he also reveals that there's something of a love triangle going on between his character and Amelia Clark's character and Han Solo. So uh, again, I'm not sure if all that's going to be in, you know, the, the, the Ron Howard cut, because I'm sure a lot of stuff has changed, but uh, that just gives you a basic idea of how that character is going to play out in the film. Yeah. It doesn't seem like Paul Bettany is going to have the half mountain lion take maybe because they, you know, went back to, you know, they, they uh, had to bring him back in like late into the production or, you know, not even late into the production, like, uh, after the production to basically uh, reinvent the role. Uh, but it's very interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have seen this, but uh, we posted it on the site today. You can you can check it out in SlashFilm.com. But the, the there's a solo, a Star Wars story theater standee uh, that we have a video of like them putting up in a theater. And it's of like the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. And it almost makes me want to like find one in a movie theater just to get a, a photo because it looks like you're like sitting in the Millennium Falcon with the cast and crew of uh, – or the cast, rather, of a solo Star Wars story. It would be really weird if Ron Howard, if a standee of Ron Howard was there with you. But uh, <laughs> um, it looks really cool. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, Star Wars The Last Jedi comes out on VOD this week and Blu-ray shortly after. And on that release, they have a feature-length documentary, a behind-the-scenes documentary called The Director and the Jedi. The first 12 minutes are online, and Brad wrote it up for the site. Brad, what do we know? Yeah, this is a a full feature-length documentary that will be available on the home video release of The Last Jedi, but it also just had uh, a debut in theaters with an audience at the South by Southwest Film Festival. Uh, so there are some people who have already seen it, and it sounds like this is uh, a fascinating and revealing, extensive look behind the scenes of the making of the movie. There's tons of behind-the-scenes footage, plenty of stuff we haven't seen before, Discussions with Ryan Johnson, uh, producer Ron Bergman, Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, the, the clip that came out has some cool behind-the-scenes footage um, from very early in, in development when they were still working on the script. And you see Ryan Johnson and Kathleen Kennedy workshopping some scenes between uh, Mark Hamill and Daisy Ridley as Luke and Ray. And they're just doing it on the Pinewood Studios lot in the middle of like a yard that's part of one of the small – it looks like a, a residence that people can stay on when they're working uh, on a production on the lot there. And it's just it's just really cool to see this glimpse of like how it develops and how uh, much purpose Ryan Johnson has behind even like singular lines uh, as he talks to, to Mark Hamill and um, Daisy Ridley about the, the work that they're putting into the script. And then there's another clip that was came online shortly after the first 12 minutes did, featuring the late Carrie Fisher talking about working with Ryan Johnson. That's uh, really cool and also a little bit bittersweet. So uh, the good news is that if you are buying The Last Jedi on digital download, which should be available late tonight, around midnight or so, then you get to watch it right away. But if you're waiting to buy the Blu-ray, then you have to wait until a little bit later this month before you see it. Yeah, if if you're not going to buy the Blu-ray or order the VOD, I would, I'd check out this first 12 minutes of this documentary. It looks it looks amazing. It looks like what I wanted the behind-the-scenes uh, documentary that was on the Force Awakens Blu-ray to be. But sadly, that was kind of um, 
It felt like a like a studio produced featurette that was just studio length. Uh, this feels like I'm actually getting to see moments of the behind the scenes of the production, like be almost like a uh, eye on the corner of the set of uh, seeing things happen that, um, you know, you, sh- you normally shouldn't be in those areas. And it's just like, uh, you know, even moments when like they're planning something and and K- Kathleen Kennedy, you know, drops by a room and she like notices the cameras that, like you can you can tell that like, you know, p- this wasn't like moments that were set up for the camera the camera was just there uh most of the time and it, i just can't wait to see the whole thing um but we will link the first 12 minutes and uh that scene with carrie fisher in the show notes you can find it on slash film.com uh ben uh you, you've been writing extensively about apple's original tv series uh we've always on the podcast uh, kind of joked like we, we we don't understand what their strategy is what they're going to do what their plans are uh at south by southwest i guess they have revealed a little bit of their strategy what do we know yeah so in in very uh, basic terms uh their original tv series strategy is we're not after quantity we're after quality and that is a quote from eddie q who is the senior vice president of internet software and services for apple uh he was speaking at a a panel at south by southwest and talking a little bit about apple's original tv series we learned last year that they're going to be producing really high level original scripted programming and trying to compete with netflix and amazon and hulu and uh they've been quietly racking up all of these shows but they have still yet to actually announce how they're going to um unveil those to the public and make them available for people to actually watch that information even after this south by southwest talk is still under lock and key they still have not fully announced that yet um but he did make some interesting sort of maybe hints at what they could what they could be doing basically he said um he mentioned that some quote surprises are coming for the home viewing viewing experience and he also said that he thinks quote there's a real change coming in the marketplace that's the end of his quote, in terms of uh, how people get their content. So that might be a hint toward some way that that Apple is thinking about sort of changing up the game in terms of distribution. Um, But yeah, in in this article, I've run down a list of all of the Apple shows that are currently in development. They have a pretty good number of them with a lot of high profile people, Damien Chazelle, Francis Lawrence, uh, Octavia Spencer, Kristen Wiig, M. Night Shyamalan, and uh, I think Steven Spielberg is still as- associated with the reboot of Amazing Stories. So, I mean, there's definitely some big names at play over in the Apple world. Um, in terms of uh, some of the other highlights of this conversation, somebody asked if Apple was considering buying Disney or Netflix. And it seems like just on the face of it, that may seem like a ludicrous statement or question. But Apple actually is one of the few companies that has enough cash on hand to buy out a huge company like a Disney or a Netflix. And uh, interestingly, Q said, generally the the history of Apple, we haven't made huge acquisitions. So it doesn't really officially deny that that's something that they're thinking about, but it does seem to sort of uh, throw some water on that notion. The idea of them having, of them buying Netflix or Disney would make a lot of sense in terms of having the infrastructure in place to actually distribute the content that they're racking up right now but uh but yeah it seems like they're really not interested in that um when asked about netflix's expensive spending habits because netflix is spending eight billion dollars a year on content uh eddie q mentioned that um 
he said, we're making big investments. Money isn't an issue for Apple. And Apple right now, just for the record, is only slated <laughs> only slated to be spending about $1 billion a year in original <laughs> programming Only. content. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's sort of the latest. It's basically just, I mean, the idea of like saying, oh, yeah, we're about quantity uh, or I'm sorry, we're not about quantity. We're about quality seems like, sort of like a cliche, but it really, you know, from the outside looking in and paying attention to what Apple's been doing, it really seems like that's something that they are are taking to heart. That's not just a, uh, you know, something that they're loosely throwing around. Um, I think he also mentioned he sort of compared Apple's approach to how Pixar really takes its time making sure every aspect of their movies are um, you know carefully considered before they just hurriedly throw something out there yeah part of me sees that you know this these list of shows and these people that they are getting themselves involved with and i totally understand what he's saying on the other hand i look at you know the first two original content original series that they've produced one of being carpool karaoke and the other being you know a uh reality series with jessica alba uh and i'm wondering really quality over quantity but okay uh we'll have to see we'll have to see where where, where that goes uh last week we, we we had this on the schedule we just didn't have the time to cover it but i wanted to talk about it today and that is his dark materials uh is getting an adaptation coming from tom hooper uh and uh starring an actress from Logan. Chris, you wrote this up for say, what do we know? Yeah, so uh, the BBC is turning uh, Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials books, there's three of them, into an eight-part uh, series. And Tom Hooper, who directed, um, he directed like Les Miserables and uh, The King's Speech, he's helming it. And Daphne Keene, who played Laura in uh, Logan, is going to star in the film. And also Lin-Manuel Miranda from Hamilton is in, also in talks to star. So that's going to be a big uh, big production for BBC. Um, His Dark Materials previously got turned into one film in 2007. That was The Golden Compass. And that was back when studios were you know, greenlighting literally every YA adaptation possible to you know, compete with Harry Potter. But... The, that first film did not do well at the box office, so it pretty much killed any chance of that film franchise continuing. So now it's it's getting another chance thanks to the BBC. Interesting. Uh, is this something that you might want to watch? I've I confess I've never read the book, so I'm not a hundred percent sure of it. And I'm also not a big Tom Hooper fan, but uh, I might give it a chance depending on how it turns out. I mean, you know, it seems definitely better suited for uh, an adaptation like this than a film because you know the books are apparently you know they have a lot of stuff in them so cramming it all into a movie probably wouldn't work out so well so i'll give it a chance but right now i'm i'm a little uh hesitant yes uh and south by southwest uh the film festival is in full effect uh ready player one the new steven spielberg film debuted last night uh, to some problems, uh, but uh, we, we now have the early buzz on if this film is actually good. Brad, is Ready Player One a good movie? It sounds like the majority of the critics who were on hand for the premiere of Ready Player One at South by Southwest did indeed enjoy it, uh, perhaps even more than they anticipated. Uh, the movie has kind of been uh, getting some shade thrown at it recently, Um Apparently, those homage posters that were released a little while ago didn't uh, please as many people as they might have thought. A lot of people thought they looked stupid. Um, 
a lot of people think that the nostalgia that's tied into this movie because of all the pop culture mashups within the world of the Oasis feels artificial and hollow. And a lot of that influence also comes from the reception that uh, the book has gotten from certain people who have read it. But it sounds like Steven Spielberg may have worked some of his uh, magic on the movie and perhaps improved upon some of the book's shortcomings because a lot of the reactions uh, have been praising it left and right. Uh, our um, Meredith Borders is someone who's at the film festival who's been doing some reviewing for us while she's down there. And she said that it's full of giant dorky heart. She both wants to hug it and give it a noogie. And uh, a bunch of other people um, are saying that they love it, that it's extremely geeky. Obviously, it's full of a bunch of references. Uh, it's, it's the kind of Spielberg movie that we haven't really seen in a while, because even though Spielberg has churned out some great stuff like The Post and, and Lincoln and whatnot, he hasn't made a, a big, you know, spectacle blockbuster like this in, in some time. So it's uh, a bit of a return to form for him. Apparently, he said before the thing, He's like, well, we didn't go into this making a film. Uh, we wanted to make a movie. And yeah, he, yeah, and he also said that some movies he makes as a director of film and some movies he makes from the point of view of the audience. And this is a movie he made from the audience. Right, exactly. So um, it's not all good news, though. There were some people who, who didn't like it. Um, Predominantly the, women critics, which is yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah, some of the female critics who were on hand didn't seem to be too pleased with it. Uh, and a lot of it is tied to some of the things that we said before with regards to the the fake nostalgia and feeling kind of shallow. So, uh, you know, it might be one of those things where your mileage may vary. We'll see if it appeals to uh, you know, a wider audience as it gets closer. As we found out before, it's not tracking too well. When we first heard about the potential box office for its opening weekend, it was only tracking at $35 million, which seems kind of disappointing for a movie uh, on this scale with, from Steven Spielberg. But then again, you have to remember this is a movie that doesn't have uh, a huge movie star in it, and it also isn't really one of the most recognized pieces of intellectual property. Uh, Ready Player One has a lot of fans in the geek community, but it's not anything on the scale of like a Harry Potter or the Lord of the Rings. So even though it's a popular book, uh, that's it's not necessarily like you're um, adapting one of the most well-known pieces of literature, you know, to come out in recent years. Yeah, and it, it should also be mentioned that, you know, at a film festival when you're seeing a movie, there is kind of more enthusiasm, especially, you know, Steven Spielberg and the, the cast and crew were in the house. Um, so uh, I'm not saying that, you know, take uh, these bits of early buzz, uh, you know, uh, you know, lightly, but like, you know... We'll we'll see when uh, the the first actual reviews outside of film festivals come and see if they should, they line up with us. It should also be said too that there was just as much excitement, even though the screening did have to be stopped twice due to an audio issue during a, a huge climactic moment, uh, in, apparently towards the end of the film. So the fact that audiences were not super yeah. annoyed and it didn't affect how they felt about the movie that I think that kind of speaks to it being hopefully being uh, something that we'll all enjoy when it comes out later this month yeah I was reading on Twitter they had to restart the film like or that battle twice and the sound just kept on going out uh, the second time they, they did it and the sound went out the audience just started making all the sound effects and you know making up lines and then they stopped again and got it going but I, I just thought that was uh, amazing 
I mean, if I was in the theater, maybe it wouldn't be amazing, but <laughs> amazing to hear from afar. And we have la- one last and final segment, and that is the spoiler room. We're going to do something for Star Wars Rebels, the series finale. Um, so if you have not seen that or care to see it, you might want to tune out now. And that includes our own Brad Omen, who has yet to catch up on Rebels. So, Brad, I'll let you go here. Well, thank you, Brad. All right, see ya. Okay, let's get into the spoiler room. So if you have... If you have not seen the series finale of Star Wars Rebels, and you have any interest in the series finale of Star Wars Rebels, we were about to spoil, you know, the, uh, something that happens in the last minute of that series finale. Uh, but uh, basically, uh, Star Wars Rebels creator has, uh, Dave Filoni, has come out saying he has a plan for a new character introduced in the finale, in, the la- in that last minute of the finale. Chris, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Yeah, so plan is a uh, <laughs> it's a it, it's a nice word. He basically he says he hasn't given it too much thought, but he has a vague idea of the future of that character. Um, the character's name is Jason Sindula. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but yeah, and uh, I, I can introduce what 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 who he is. Uh, Yes, please, Peter, help me out, because I have never have seen, seen this show, and I don't know what any of this means. Okay, Hera uh, is his mother. It's uh, She's one of the main characters of the ghost crew that Star Wars Rebels follows, and her father was um, Kanan, one of... Uh, the last known Jedi's in the universe, uh, or in the galaxy, rather. Uh, and Kanan died, and it was revealed in the coda for the finale that basically that uh, Hera and Kanan had a kid, that she was pregnant before he died, and they had a kid named Jason, uh, which is a throwback line to uh, Han Solo and uh, Leia's kid from the uh original expanded universe but anyways um so this kid is just kind of mentioned like you know we see him for five seconds in in the show the show ends on kind of like this big cliffhanger that everybody's talking about everybody thinks the cliffhanger is kind of like the next tv series and where the the you know the next animated series is going to go but a lot of people haven't been concentrated on this one moment this introduction of this kid uh so i i I don't know. It's just interesting that Dave Filoni. So you're saying what he's that he doesn't have a serious plan for this. Yes, he literally says, I have not given a lot of thought to where that goes. But he also says, you know, he named the character, of course, to reference, like you said, the the Han Solo and Leia son from the, you know, the the, the book series, which uh, is, of course, different than the film series. But so yeah, there there's not a hundred percent plan, but there are people who are now theorizing that maybe that character grows up to be part of the Knights of Ren from you know the, the ongoing film series because we haven't really gotten a lot of detail on them yet as characters. So that's just one theory that's floating around right now. And that's interesting too because the the end of the series takes it's flash forward to after Return of the Jedi. Um, and you know, this is a timeline where Luke Skywalker would be starting up his Jedi Academy. So, uh, I wanted to pose this to you, Ben, you know, you're hearing all this for the first time. Uh, you know, uh, at this point, you know, we thought all the Jedi were gone from the galaxy. Uh, you know, there's this new kid who's a Jedi or, you know, has, uh, the, the genes of his father. Not that, I mean, I mean, I guess last Jedi has proven that anybody could be a Jedi, but forget that for a moment. Um, uh, do you think in animated series, 
filling in the gaps of what happened at Luke Skywalker's Jedi Training Academy and the birth of the Knights of Ren and all that stuff might be a good way of of not having to explain that in the big movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Yes. Um, yeah. Because I personally, as somebody who is not invested in this part of the Star Wars mythos, would really be um, almost annoyed if they basically brought whatever narrative they were doing in the films to a halt or, God forbid, slotted in another like in between quill, you know, kind of prequel movie uh, with a young Luke Skywalker uh, or a younger Luke Skywalker. Actually, that was something Mark Hamill was just talking about. Like if he I think we wrote about that on the site, too. So maybe we can link to that in the show notes as well. But he was mentioning like, oh, he would like Sebastian Stan to maybe play a young version of him if such a thing ever came to be. Or if they went really, really young, they could be uh, like Jacob Tremblay from Room. Um (laughs) And that idea just sounded so terrible to me. But the notion of a another animated series that does fill in those gaps sounds perfect. I mean, that's like exactly what these things are. These animated shows have done so well, you know, at least from the outside looking in um, is done so well thus far is really like fleshing out these time periods that are sort of a mystery in uh, in the Star Wars lore and making them you know engaging and and providing brand new characters that people really love to to attach themselves to um so the idea of of uh and and also like the the setting of a jedi academy sounds like tailor-made for adventures of the week kind of thing you know i I feel like there's a lot of potential there is that something you would be interested in seeing peter as somebody who's watched all of rebels i mean part of me says yeah i would love to see you know what happens and how that came about but in the, the other part of me is like you know I, I also wanted to see what the clone wars were and then we saw what the clone wars were and it really wasn't that exciting and you know uh we kind of see the key moment where kylo ren kind of turns his back on luke skywalker like you know is it really interesting to see you know the build-up to that and to see the knights of ren and what goes on that like chris is now that this that this theoretical idea we don't even know that this is true. This is like a, just a theory in, you know, the eye of ScreenRant.com. Uh, <laughs> if, if this were the case, if this was the pitch for the new animated series on the Disney streaming service, now that it's connected to the new Star Wars films, would that be enough to, to pull you in? I really don't know. Um, I love the Star Wars movies. I've just never felt an urge to watch, you know, like, rebels or any you know any of the the out the outlier things i mean uh i want to i'll say no i'm gonna just take a firm stance i'm gonna i'm gonna be not diplomatic for once and i'm gonna say no i will not watch it so no <laughs> interesting ben I, I i know you are very skeptical and you, i mean you're only getting you only want to see the hands made tale uh now after you've read the book and heard all the acclaim <laughs> like it took you all that to, to get to it uh right. i'm assuming that you have no interest in this um yeah i mean because i i would feel like i would need to watch uh I, I would feel like i would need to fill in all of the gaps leading up to it properly so that would for me probably involve watching all of rebels because i have to imagine that there would be more of a connection there um and, and you know more callbacks and stuff and i just don't uh, you know i wouldn't want to miss out on anything if i really decided to dive into something like that so yeah i probably wouldn't watch it but i do like the idea of it being out there for the people who um are, are like 
looking for ways to immerse themselves in more Star Wars mythos. And obviously, you know, in all of the movies and in all things Star Wars, I would prefer it. My my across the board preference would be for them to explore new things and and go in new directions that we have not seen before. But if, you know, there's not as much uh, I was going to say there's not as, as much profit in that, but let, let me frame it another way. Hollywood is traditionally risk averse, and that means tapping into familiar elements, right? So, you know, from a business perspective, I could understand why they would say, okay, let's keep it contained to things that people have at least some idea about instead of going off and, and doing brand new things like they're doing with these new movie trilogies and movie series that they have. Uh, planned. So I, I'm hoping that those projects are successful enough to convince Disney to continue to expand that universe out yeah. instead of, um, you know, returning and, and shrinking back in a little bit. Okay, it sounds like uh, you haven't read it, but it sounds like you've read the big picture. <laughs> but um, uh, <laughs> let's bring this podcast to the end now. I, I will link to all these stories in the show notes. Uh, you can find this podcast slash home daily on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please send us your comments, concerns, questions to peter at uh, Leave your name, general geographic location in case we mention it on the air. Please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Spread the word. Tell your friends. And we'll see you tomorrow.